words you use to justify your spending, your possessions, your lifestyle, or the way you handle your earthly wealth to others means nothing to God because God knows your heart. He knows exactly who you are serving when you handle money the way you do. He knows if he is your master or money is your master. Jesus knows your heart. He knows what is truly mastering your life, despite what you tell others or even try to convince yourself of. Jesus knows your heart and its allegiances, and Jesus wants your heart. He wants all of your heart, all of your allegiances, all of your attention. He doesn't want you to be enslaved to anything other than Him, no earthly master. He wants all of you. He wants you free to follow Him and feel His joy and purpose in your life. In this week's sermon, John Vanderbilt preached on Luke 16, 1-15, the parable of the dishonest manager. Today, we'll be discussing questions around this parable and more. Stay tuned from Glen Ellen Bible Church. I'm Matt Maroon. I'm John Vanderbilt. And I'm Kelly Brady, and this is episode 190 of the Next Level Podcast. Hello, good morning. Early morning. Good morning. We are back in our old digs here. Yeah, we're back in your office. Uh, Got chased out by women's Bible study because we're a day late recording this podcast. True. I appreciate you guys rearranging for my schedule. I was away this Sunday. How'd Sunday go? It was great. Yeah, really good. It was a great Sunday. Yeah. What'd you enjoy? What was a blessing? For me, worship was, and I know that's, you mean that's my default. Do you mean um, <laughs> it's all worship, man? The worship was good today. <laughs> Worshiping in song. Now the I got a chance to be off the platform and um, and participate, observe, assist, all that kind of stuff. And um, Sherry Farina led. I heard good things about her leadership. She did a fantastic job. Yeah, I feel like. Um, she, I feel like she hears from God pretty clearly, and um, and when she delivers on that, when she speaks, uh, she does it with humility and um, and clarity, and it, I feel like it translates really well. So, How, I heard great things, as I said. How did it go mask optional during sermon? Did people follow that lead? Did they? So I thought it wise just to not say anything, just let it go. We put it like, in print. So we put it in I... print. We communicate it out. Yeah. Um, if people want to make that decision, they know they can. Um, I would say about 75% of the folks knew the... slid their mask down kind of around their, their chin. And <laughs> I, st- I saw more people drinking like coffee and things in there than we've had in the past. Because, so, yeah. Um, but uh, there was a decent number of folks that just kept their mask on and yeah. Cool. Um, I know. couldn't really tell because I was in the back. Was yeah. there a difference in uh, first and second service? Oh yeah, yeah. First service was definitely masked up the entire time. So you're saying that was the, what I'm hearing is oh, people yeah, understood I that was yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So first service is masks the whole time. Yep. Just Start, like we've been doing. Yeah. And second service is optional mask during sermon. Yep. Right. Yep. And um. Yeah, I just felt like for time's sake, for organizational sake, for and I don't want people to feel pressured or right. So we just kind of let it go, and and people did what they felt most comfortable doing. And at the end of the service, everybody put their masks on and and walked out. So good. All right. This week we're going to add a closing song, a response song, mm-hmm. which we have been missing during the COVID 
uh, era because of um, just abundance of caution. Yeah. Uh, so we'll add that back this week. Yeah, we've got some ways to organize a service to still kind of be safe, but mm-hmm. yet have that ability to respond in song, yeah. which is, which is in, good. In the past, I think this is worth saying, in the past we we decided not to do that to let the aerosols yeah. die down, right? Can you just tell us what has changed now or, or what the thinking is now by adding the song at the end? Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I think uh, some of those early steps that we took um, abundance were, were of caution. This, this major like abundance of caution. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, the, the, there, there's things that we, you know, in the in public that we're doing now that we weren't doing. Yeah. You know, originally, um, capacities well, of rooms have increased. I mean, all all sorts of li- different little things, all over the place. And th- this is one of those abundance of caution steps that we took. We feel like, not that. COVID's over, doesn't exist, none, none of that philosophy, but just we, we feel like it's uh, a, a step we can take to allow us to have a response song and yet still be as safe as we can. Yep. So, Well, I think we have this decision to add in a, a response song is based on months of data at this point mm-hmm. that our congregation and our singing, the way we've handled it, has not been a point of transmission for the virus. There's right. there's no data linking our gatherings to transmission yeah. of the virus. It's so zero up to this point, zero spread at known spread, contact tracing, everything from gatherings at Glen Allen Bible Church. Right. And and it's not just us, but churches all over the nation are right. gathering right. with varied caution levels or um, practical levels. Uh, safety levels put in place. So I really think it's a, it's, we're adding it back based on evidence that we can sing safely when masks. So there'll be sermon, second and third service can drop their mask during the sermon. Then we'll, we'll do a response song. Matt'll encourage people to mask back up while we stand and sing. It's the safest posture. And then uh, people will sit down. We'll close the service with some announcements and benediction and uh, let the aerosols settle, yep. and then we'll exit. Mm-hmm. And moving into this weekend, we are adding back a third service, right? Yes. And yeah, why we are actually, we doing that? I mean, truth be told, I mean, for a lot of people don't even, don't know, but right. when those numbers are low, on I'll, I'll make a passionate plug here, and then we're going to do some communication today as we open registration. But um, when those numbers are low on Saturday night, we we will close that service. So there were 11 people registered on Saturday evening for that service. At that point, with only 11 people, we actually have space in the other two services so that those people can, they can still come to church. We're not saying don't come to church. We're just saying, hey, we've got 11 seats open in our other services for volunteerism and cleaning and, Mm -hmm. you know, having the building open and everything that's going on. If we can serve 11 people in services that are already open and going with volunteers and everything, then we'll do it. So the issue was this week, we actually had um, a, a significant number of people register Sunday night or Saturday night and Sunday morning. And they just makes it hard to plan completely filled the first and second service. We had 125 people in the room in second service. Yeah. We had 120 yeah. in the room first service. It made for, a nightmare. It was like Tetris, trying to organize all the pieces in the Provide rows. Provide social and, distances. And difficult. we actually opened our overflow. We had people 
um, a number of people watching and listening to the service from the conference room during second service. So, what's your plea? You have a plea. My plea is please register early, early. as soon as you know you're going to come to church. And yeah. if you need to cancel, that's o- that's okay. We can we have ways to to managing the canceling and all that kind of stuff. So, if you know you're coming to church, please register early. I know children's ministry, they're registering right away because there's limited seats and capacity for children. So, so families with young ones. It's, it's, it's our, it's our um, empty nesters. Yeah. It's our families with older kids that aren't going to children's ministry yeah. that um, are registering Friday, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday morning, some of them. <laughs> um, and we want to we we make sure that we have... You know, seats and space and everything for everybody. And so. also, if would it be accurate to say, like, if people are signing up early, that gives us just a better gauge in mm-hmm. numbers overall, totally, and moving forward and making decisions that we might need to make yep. in the coming months. Yep. You know, COVID wise, totally. Um, because if people sign up early, then then you go and and a service is full, then you'll start getting feedback. Hey, I really wanted to come to this service, but. Right. There's no room or yep. whatever, and we'll exactly. start hearing exactly. that, and we'll start knowing. Yep. And it's hard to add a service at the last minute. So, you know, some some folks have said, "Well, why don't we just add it when things get full?" Well, it's, you a can't, lot of volunteers. You can't plan that way. A lot of moving <laughs> like, parts. Yeah. yeah um, from slides to 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 the worship Kids band to, to everything. I mean, yep. anything in that third service. Even if we didn't have children's ministry, there's just so so many moving parts, so many things that we have to have organized. We can't on Friday night go. Oh, it looks like we're full. Let's add a third service. Yeah. It just, it's a nightmare. So, yeah. um, well, before we get into questions, I did want to mention one more thing about the worship band. And it wasn't just Sherry who led, Sherry led fr- up front. Yeah. But Becca also led. She was uh, charged with leading musically. So, and I got to watch her and I didn't, I didn't give any input or any direction. I just let her go. And that, it's a really unique skill set to lead a band in, in other words, like you're leading the band, you're telling people what or what not to do. And you kind of, you have to choose your words carefully, but you also have to be assertive and, you know, you have to have a clear direction and she just did that really well. So I just wanted to, to mention that as well. All right, let's get into some questions. First question, how can Christians strike the right balance between giving freely and being generous to those around us in need while not getting taken advantage of or perpetuating destructive behaviors? Yeah, this is a, a great question. It's um, this person in, in the the rest of their question, they offered some examples of, you know, family or whatever that had, you know, they've given and given and given, and then they wind up getting taken advantage of or the person they're trying to support, take you know, abuses them or, or gets angry or, or whatever. And, um, what came to mind when I was reading this was, um, reading the question and thinking about answering it was Matthew 10 verse 16, where, um, Jesus is sending out his disciples and he uses the phrase, be wise. Actually, in some translations, it says shrewd, which is the same word we use for the, the manager, the shrewd manager, but be wise, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, um, which it seems to me to apply to this this kind of situation as well. I think the Bible has some some pretty direct, some may say even harsh words for those who who hoard wealth, um, who aren't generous. If uh, if you're selfish with your your belongings, your possessions, your wealth, um, the Bible has some some pretty direct, <laughs> albeit harsh teachings. 
um, on that. Um, those who are greedy, um, the Bible speaks pretty directly to that, but the Bible also has some direct and harsh words for those who are lazy, those who don't take care of their families, those who are uh, able-bodied and, and able to work and support their family that don't do that. So um, the Bible sort of paints a picture of the two, the two extremes in this situation, right? Like those who, are, who have wealth and those that don't, um, but both are able to, to participate, serve, work, whatever. Um, the Bible, you know, has, has hard words for both sides of that, that spectrum. The word that the person here uses in the question is balance, which makes a lot of sense. Like, how do we balance those two things? Like being charitable, but not being taken advantage, giving, but not giving too much so that we aren't able to either care for ourselves or we create a, um, a, a dependency uh, culture. This is big in when we think about giving aid to nations or peoples or where we create this dependency culture. Instead of those people being self-sufficient, we give too much and they become dependent only on us and the money that we're giving. And that word balance is a word that I hate sometimes because balance means so many different things to so many different people. Yeah. You know, balance in one person's life with their time, their money, is different than balance in another person's life. I don't have to give all the examples here, but just if you think through, Kelly, how you balance your time with your kids who are adults and outside of the home and how I balance my time with my kids who are in the home every day. I mean, you know, it's different. You can't look at me and say, you need to balance your life more. I can't look at you and say, you need to balance your life. You know, right. balance means two different things in that situation. The same is true of, of money. Um, so, you know, when I, when we say balance, we need to be careful what that actually means. But I think what we're looking for here is God's Holy Spirit inspired wisdom in how we handle our money in these situations. Um, we need to, to find that wisdom through prayer. Um, I've been moved by scripture lately talking about, uh, having a clear conscience, mm. Um, Timothy talks about, I'm, we're going through Timothy in a Bible study I'm in, and Timothy talks a lot about having a clear conscience before the Lord, clear conscience in your actions. Um, and, and so if you're, if you're prayerful, what do I do? How do I help this person? If your conscience is clear, you're not using it for your own gain or, or trying to enslave somebody or, or, or and I, when I say enslave, I mean, Lord power over somebody with your money or you know you're thoughtful and not creating a dependency culture so you have a clear conscience I'm doing this with the right motives I really want to help um, I'm doing it wisely I'm faithfully with good stewardship um, and then and then you know we get this wisdom through community support pastoral support you know um, asking those that know us that know our hearts more more closely maybe than somebody else, and we say things like, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Um, speak into my my decisions here. Um, somebody shared with me, um, they were reading a devotional at Monday morning that actually talked about the power of community and making giving decisions. I think it's a uh, Paul David Tripp devotional um, book, and it talks about a man that came to him that said, hey, I'm thinking about buying a vacation home, and here's my my reasons, my family, da da da, da all this kind of stuff, and and he 
the the point was that he wasn't just making this decision with himself and his his spouse. He's making this decision looking for pastoral input, looking for community input. Um, does is this wise? Is this going to get me into trouble, or is this going to be? Is this faithful, good stewardship, wise decision? And, you know, we can go crazy with that where it's like every stinking little thing. We're like, should I buy it or should I not? Should we're I asking shit people, right? Yeah, and, and that, can, that can be exhausting. exhausting but, but we do know that there's, there's times where we need, we need input. Um, you know, I think, I think this is especially true if we're not giving, <laughs> If we're not giving, um, you know, significantly to the kingdom, and you know, I think that's the the question we need to to really wrestle with is how how much am I actually giving? Um, and and it's not a I said it on Sunday. It's not like a checklist. Well, I gave my ten percent, so I can do whatever I want with the rest. I mean that that's not what the Bible teaches at all. That's not good stewardship. That's not faithfulness and that's not generosity that's not sacrificial giving you know so one thing i would say is that when we do strike that balance where we're trying not to hoard our wealth and care only for ourselves but we're trying to be sacrificial and and generous we try to strike that balance we need to be prepared for you know like in the in a family situation for arrows from both sides like why aren't you you know giving them a, a you know, more. And the other side says, why aren't we saving or preparing for, you know, our retirement or, or whatever. So anyway, that's my thoughts on it. I know you guys have some thoughts, but I loved your call to, um, to have a community or support system in which you're vetting the decisions you're making with regards to giving, you know, if you're married, that's your spouse. Um, but it's, as a part of it, certainly your spouse is involved, but also we need to expand. I don't think there's a lot of discussion among friends, fellowship of the church about what we're giving, and there needs to be more discussion. We should have, I think, at least an annual conversation with folks mm-hmm. uh, about, hey, here are my giving habits, or here's what I'm thinking, or I'm vexed about this. What do you think? So I, I loved your call to community input. We, you know, God gave us to one another, and we need to be bouncing this stuff off each other. Um, I think of the the sort of the the taboo topic of money, mm-hmm. salary, income. Yeah. Like, you know, I did, I had no idea how much money like my dad made mm-hmm. until I went to college and had to fill out you know the financial aid forms to see if we were going to get any money. Yeah. Um, and not that my dad needed to tell me exactly, but just, I mean, that's just an example of, you know, being not, <laughs> just like, we don't talk about no, that. That might be the number one on the list of awkward conversations, right? Like yeah. even more so than political, who'd you vote for? What, how much money do you make? We, that would never yeah, be a I, question. I actually feel like in our culture, you might ask who you vote for before you ask Absolutely. how much money do you make? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like taboo. You why, know? why is that? It, Why is it uncomfortable? Because is it because we assign our worth we do. as a I person so. to how much we make? Oh, and as soon as we share that number or that amount, we... We're waiting for someone's judgment. Yeah, it's, it's like we've just opened ourselves to judgment, and um, we, we don't trust ourselves. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's ultimately what it is. We don't trust ourselves. Yeah. We don't trust that we truly are being as generous as and faithful with our money as we, yeah. as we should be. We think that people are going to look at us. 
We aren't. We aren't. We need to drop our guard in that respect, don't we? Mm -hmm. I I remember I shared with my children at various times and places how much money I make, what we give away, just trying to coach them along the way. I actually remember having a conversation with them, and I can't remember what the intersection was, but we had a conversation about, okay, kids, you need to understand, here's what mom and I give. Um, There may come a day when you guys look back and say, why did you give that money away? Why don't we have money for X or Y? That's good, yeah. And I and I said there may come a day when you feel frustrated with what we give away or have given away. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, so, just trying to talk about. And I'm now that I'm th- remembering. I, uh, my point was, Mom and I are trying to take some risks as givers. I can't remember. So anyway, I just wanted to encourage them, and we. It was weird to share what you make with your kids. They don't have a lot of context. Um, but I, I did feel on guard, like, gosh, I hope they think I'm a good provider, you know, kind of it's an insecurity. Well, and there's so much. I didn't get into that. Like, I, it was really difficult to not get into the, like, crazy practical applications yeah. with money, which I think are, are helpful. I don't think it's inappropriate to do those things in the pulpit, but... The text that you assigned me, Kelly, which was a mountain of, <laughs> of work. You did so good with it, John. I'm kidding. In just under an hour. In too. just under an hour. <laughs> we just slid right in there at 47 minutes. Um, it didn't lend itself. It, I think it, it would have taken away from the power of what Jesus was mm, teaching here. Yeah. You know, and it's fascinating because people scream, make it applicable, make right, it applicable, right. give me application. Sometimes the applications offered can become a distraction to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. So we've right. got the preacher up there offering us the concrete takeaways right. and the Spirit wants to do something else in our lives. Right. And, and somebody said to me afterwards, was real, I mean, they were really super encouraging. They came up and they said, you know, you're, the examples you gave, you know, I gave this, these examples of can you buy a Tesla or can you not? Can you go to the Bahamas? Can you not? Can you buy the condo and veil? They're like, those, those aren't really things that's that, not me. <laughs> that, that I wrestle with. Or, I mean, that seems really extreme. I'm like, that was my point. My point is that mm-hmm. go as extreme as you want. It doesn't, that's, I'm not talking about the tactical stuff here. Some in the room, that was tactical because yeah. there are some that wrestle yeah. at that level yeah. Yeah. in our room. But that wasn't, my point was, my point was much more about our hearts. We much all more about, yeah. At whatever level. You can apply that. Right. You know if you're going to, if you're I mean, the notorious with, B.I.G. had it right, right? Mo, mo money, mo, mo problems. problems. I mean, <laughs> there is a little bit of a freedom that uh, some experience, me included, where it's like, you know, I, I'm glad we don't. Yeah, there's an element of that, you know, like, mm-hmm. like yeah, you, I can still make money an idol with what we make and, totally. and all that for sure. But there is a little bit of a freedom we have where, like, a vacation home or right. even a second or third vacation or whatever, like, right. not even an, right. not even a possibility. Right. So you know, some of that right. you have to scale it to your own situ, you know, right s- situation. We t- we've been talking to our kids because at Rome, you know, Romans nine, he's been asking more about just money and finance and we just uh our other kids are too young to give like an amount this is what i make but we just tell them we we have enough god's given us enough we trust him that he's going to provide for us and we have enough we have food every day we eat until we're full like you know 
But, and, but then we're also realistic with them too. Like we also don't have a massive pile of cash in the, you know, right. like anywhere, right. Right. you know, to give to you one day and you're going right. to like, you know, we also don't live that way. So, right. and some, and you know what, some people do and that's okay. Like, yeah. It's, it's interesting too. I didn't get into too much of this, just the cultural messages that, um, sort of tie into or leverage almost like the good stewardship ideas that the Bible talks about. So a real perva- pervasive message that I think is being blared out right now, it, especially to the retiring generation. I mean, there's this massive boomer generation that's retiring right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the cultural ramifications of what's about to happen. Social scientists are just starting to talk about from... Um, you know, this huge transfer of wealth. Like, mm-hmm. it can't all be spent even right. in in the amount of years left in these people's lives. So what's going to happen to that money? Well, there's this message of, you know, care and provide for yourself so that your children don't have to be burdened by you, be a good steward. And, and that message, I understand it. It does have some biblical connections to it of caring for yourself, being a wise steward, being faithful. But we can take that that message can be taken yeah. crazy to the extreme where you're not investing now in the kingdom of God because yeah, you're, you're just holding all your wealth for later. And, sure. and, um, well, and you're also not teaching your children a pretty important life lesson that I see a lot of my friends in their fifties and, right. you know, yeah. when they're caring for their parents right. or parent or whatever. And I mean, it's a, it, it cuts both ways, and we have to be really, really careful. And that, that was my point. It's one of my points in the message was we need to be very thoughtful and careful. Like, mm-hmm. like think through these things because they it, it's it's about being honest with yourself and with God. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's so 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 easy to justify whatever we want to do with our money to ourselves. I loved your example about the outdoor television. <laughs> That's such a great story. I love, I'm not going to share it because I didn't ask permission to, to share his name, but he's such an honest and confessional type person right. in his life. And he's just a beautiful man. Like I just love him. And you know, it's like he shared the story with this idea of, you know, we can really truly justify anything we want. We have, Sometimes we use the Bible to do it. Sometimes we use the cultural messages yep. that that smell like or feel like they're biblical messages. Like we can make, we can justify absolutely anything. Um, I had somebody come up afterwards and be like, "That was the that was a great application when you said I don't know." Because like, <laughs> like you want an answer, I'm telling you right now, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because that's I don't know the truth. Heart. Because if if anybody were here to tell you that doesn't truly know you, isn't fully invested in your life, how to spend your money and do, that's a dangerous. Oh, it is. It's, um, if we're not careful, we give, um, we can communicate guilt or we can communicate um, permission when we should be communicating neither. So for example, if there are people in the church who we, man, you got, if we were to say, you've got to give at least, you've got to give 10%, they're like, no problem. I'll give ten and keep the fifty. Right. The, I just, I just keep got the fifty percent. I, I was myself gonna. a raise. Right. <laughs> or if we say you should be giving fifty percent away, well then, no, I can't pay my bills. So, right. it's it's too personal to make application. I thought you'd thread the needle well. Yeah. And you think of, I mean, ever flip through the the uh, religious station channels that you get on your, you know, and there's a there's a a power from a in the in the um, 
that that people abuse preachers mm-hmm. sort of faith healer type i mean mm-hmm. that's that um you know you need to give this you need to pour this money out to me um sow your seed yeah it's and a, it's a um it's a tricky tricky and yeah. dangerous thing to tell people give the church 10 bucks exactly. the lord will give you 100 right right so we kind of talked through and answered both question one and two. Question two was, uh, I love John's point about Christ alone, knowing our true heart and posture towards him, towards money, but we also see the value of accountability and hard truth telling in many areas of our Christian walk. How can we as a community grow in challenging each other to be generous and wise with our spending while being careful not to judge each other's hearts? Yeah, I I would, I agree. We covered a lot of this. One thing I tried to list out here um, in the in the prep for the podcast, just some practical things that I didn't cover, um, you know, in our conversations with other people, as we're looking at our own lives and evaluating, like what's, um, what are some basics? What are some ground rules? What are some, um, some things to get us started in these conversations? And maybe these don't all apply. They're just things that I have been encouraged by people in our community using these things. I've used them myself. One of them is, um, living under the standard of living as your neighbors, assuming that your incomes are generally the same of those in, uh, in your neighborhood, is your spending, your lifestyle as a believer different than your non-believing neighbors? So if you and your neighbor generally make the same amount of income, are doing all of the exact same things, you're driving the same cars, you're going on the same vacations, you're doing the same remodels, you're at the same club, sports clubs, you're doing teams and everything that you're spending money on. If they're exactly the same in every way, shape, or form, something might be off with your your generosity. As a follower of Jesus. Yeah, this is one of the things that is pointed out as being something that makes us different. We yeah. don't value money the same way that non-believers value money. We yeah. look at we it. We don't use it the same way. We exactly. Don't, we look at it We don't save it, spend it, or give it right. the, the same, same way. way. Yeah. And so I understand. We don't. We want to be strange, but we also want to be, rel- like, I'm not saying you, you shouldn't be spending on the same, you shouldn't have the same car as your neighbor. That's not what I'm saying. But you, it, it is something that you can use to evaluate your life and say, okay, I am di- I'm different. I'm giving sacrificial. I, 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 I don't do some things that I could do that maybe those living in my community do because I'm choosing to, to be generous with those funds instead. Yeah. How do you guys feel personally about being a pastor and let's say the car you drive, the house you have? Like, do you feel a sense of, um, okay, I could afford that car, but I'm not because of perception? Well, back to your your statement originally, like the options are pretty limited, <laughs> <laughs> right, and, right. and I'm not saying that that I'm not well taken care of by the church. Yeah, I yeah. am very, you know, I we it's it's ridiculously, you know, a gr- it's a great standard of living that we have, and you know, of course, we have needs and wants, and sh- you know. I don't. There's always more money you want, right? I mean, we were just right. talking about putting five kids through college. That's going to be difficult on a Anybody, on any salary. Any salary. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I do think, I do think, and Kelly, you've been helpful and wise in this, like offering counsel to, to the staff about what we are spending, you know, what does it look like in our community? And yeah, I, I don't think as shepherds of God's people, we're to, to be leading. It's a part of 
a readiness to lead. And part of our leadership is a demonstrating a, how we handle money well. Yeah. We, managing our own house is a qualification of an elder. And it it includes how we handle our money. So we, we should be making all types of buying decisions with uh, being an example in mind. Um, so I, I we all, you know, there are outliers for sure that's ministers of the gospel who are traveling in jet planes that they own. Uh, and, man, I just, you know, money can be a trap for ministers just like it can be a trap. Yeah. Ministers can grow bitter about their salaries. Uh, ministers can grow manipulative about uh, their salaries. It It is, it's the, in other words, it's the, money's a trap for the shepherds as much as it is the sheep. And but we are called to set an example uh, in in life and love and purity, yeah. to quote Paul's words to Timothy. So I had a conversation with a friend once um, who was going to a church in the area, and he said uh, he said that his pastor um, one lived in a gated community, two uh, they had two Mercedes, and it's like. To me, right away, I mean, the, that's just red flag. I can't help that from coming into my mind. Like, okay, there were other things too. And the reason we were, I was having this conversation with him is because we were, I was trying to figure out, like, what kind of church are you going to? And what is the, you know, and it did end up being a, a prosperity example. Yeah. But it doesn't always have to be, a, you know, a Learjet. That right. depend, like, yeah. that's a situation where, I, honestly, even if I could afford a Mercedes, and, it, and I know you can get a Mercedes now for, a lot cheaper than 20 years ago, right, or whatever. Mm. I would have a hard time driving a Mercedes. Yeah, yeah you know, working the, at a church, I just would. I, I just, have, I have a good friend. His, he's a youth pastor in California at a great church, and he, um, his wife is the daughter of somebody who worked in uh, Nike and got this absolute ridiculous amount of like buyout money. D- several decades ago, I mean, ridiculous amounts of sure. money. And he's like, he's in love. With, it has nothing to, his relationship with his wife have nothing to do with money. But it's like, he's like, we can't get rid of it. Yeah. Like, they have so much. And he's like, I just try to live like every other person and pastor in my town. And we just try to, you know, fund them, get the money out of here. Yeah. But he has the opportunity. Like, we don't always know. Like, right. he could legitimately drive a Mercedes yeah, we don't. and have it we not need to be, be really a heart careful. and stewardship issue, just like, sure. this car's going to last longer. Mercedes go for a long time. You know, I mean, again, we can totally justify. And pers- There's so many things that go into these equations, yeah. um, which, you know, is back to, you know, some of these practical things. My, You know, the next one is use a community or small group to help you with stewardship. Yeah, you know, if I'm thinking of purchases, bouncing it off people who know me, love me, care about me. Um, I had somebody come up afterwards and said, you know, well, what do you? What's a practical thing you could do? You know, he's like, if I'm if I'm wrestling with if I should buy something, then it probably means I shouldn't buy it. <laughs> Which I get at one I would level. Never may or may not be true. I, and I get, again, I said, <laughs> I would that, never buy anything. <laughs> I'm like. It, I'm like, that might be for you, that might make sense because of the state of your heart, your propensity to, or your, your, your feelings towards money, where you came from, where you're, you know, that might, he's like, you know, if I start, if, if I need to choose between 
giving it away and buying it on my, myself. If I know I'm wrestling, then I'm just going to give it away. Great. That works for you. Um, and, and, you know, he said, he said, if I feel guilty about my spending, then I'm probably, you know, in the wrong spot. And, and I get that. That might be for some, like if you, if you're feeling a lot of guilt and shame about how you spend and what you're doing, then may, I, I would say that for anything. Any, I don't know. Any way that I spend, our, our feelings can be so um, bent. Yeah, totally. There are people that won't ever buy themselves anything because exactly. they always feel they're just right. guilt and shame are their primary go-to yeah. emotion. So we just need to to know ourselves, right? And to invite people into our lives to help right. us. My point is that it can be, yeah, it can be a litmus test for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it it isn't the only one. Feelings are valuable. They just can't rule our lives. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. I also encourage, you know, people to to think about what will truly bring them joy in the in a situation. My experience and what I've been taught, what I've seen in the lives of others that that giving away for kingdom purposes, helping others, brings a joy that surpasses mm-hmm. the spending that we do on ourselves. Yeah. And you know, the the temporary pursuit of our comforts and our whatever um, can bring us joy. There's no, there's no doubt in that. But this long-term lasting um, joy comes from us giving away what we have to kingdom purposes. Yeah. Uh, Luke writes in Acts, blessed is, it's better to give than receive. So. Yeah, right. Absolutely. The final thing I'd say in a tactical way is, you know, there are systems that help you with organizing your spending. There's organizations that help you with giving and stewardship and what's wise and what's not. I think, I mean, simple Google search of, you know, why stewardship organizations or, you know, things like that. Speaking of that, we have a resource on our website. So if you go to the homepage under the resources tab, we've put together a discipleship journey in giving. Mm -hmm. You can click on it. It's a PDF and it outlines stages of growth in giving. Yep. There's the initial giver, the consistent giver, the intentional giver, sacrificial giver. And it, it really, I think it's a great help in understanding what's my next step. Or, and it's something I can pray through, talk through with my spouse, my friends. Here's where I feel I'm at. I'm an initial giver. How can I go to the next level mm-hmm. and grow in generosity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, uh, let's go to the next question. When uh, we've talked a little bit about this, but so I want, so I want to love God and hate money, but I'm not sure how to do that. How can I grow in my love of God and hate for money? I don't know where to start. <laughs> it's, it's a great question. I, you know, it occurs to me one of the things I would, the, the notion of hating the other. I mean, it's a pretty drastic dichotomy. Love God, hate money. Yeah, it's not tolerate. And I'll pick up on that in. <laughs> This um, this Sunday. How so, many verses do you have? To I only have three verses. How many did you do last? Oh, that's week? nice. That's nice. <laughs> Fifteen. <laughs> no, it's fine. So, this the dichotomy of love and hate, loving God and hate money. That's a drastic dichotomy. And one of the things I would start with is asking the Lord to reveal to me where I'm in love with money, and it's basically an idolatry issue. You should have no other God before me. It's the first commandment. Mm -hmm. I am the Lord your God. So we should ask the Lord to reveal to us because without a knowledge of about 
of specifically, where is my love for money? How did I cultivate a love for money? Where do, what are the ties that I have to loving money? Then how, if I don't know specifically, how do I confess them? How do I reject them? Uh, you know, and idols in the Old Testament were to be destroyed. How do I destroy that idol? Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. I ha- I did have somebody say, you know, money money can be a hang up just like anything else. Or money can money is you know you need to be. There's lots of things that can can enslave us or take our time away, or whatever. And I said, and I said, you're right. But but Jesus picks money and points it's out a money unique idol as a unique idol yeah. that's on the same level yeah. for our devotion as God Himself. Right. He yep. puts God and money yep. as two options. He doesn't put uh, sex, sexual sin, lust, temptation. He doesn't nope. put all sorts of other things yep. on we, that It level. is true we can make an idol of anything, but not all idols are equally powerful. Right. They don't, they don't all have the same draw. There's something unique mm-hmm. about money. That's and ins- just look at the number of people that get in trouble. Enslaving. Uh, yeah, and, with their money. Right. And it, and it's easy for us. I think part of the the issue, the reason is it's it's so because Christ goes right into this this line, this teaching. You can justify this. Right. You can justify it. You can justify. Yeah, all the ugliness in our heart is given power yes, through money. With money, in a way that you cannot justify other things, you can totally justify to others, to yourself. And you can try. You can try to do it to God, but He knows your heart. I think it's. I think it's. I think Jesus knows. Of course, He knows exactly, exactly what He's doing. He's. He's. He teaches through this parable. He's pressing buttons perfectly, right. and he and he he draws he draws us to the idea of 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 investing in the kingdom. He draws us the idea of being faithful with what we have, and then he draws us down to the idea that you can't do either of those things if if you have not mastered money. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into the teaching of it's it's all about your hearts mm-hmm. because you can so easily try to justify what you're doing. I, it's great teaching. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus, the parable is is difficult and confusing in in a lot of ways to our kind of modern mm-hmm. understanding of what's going on, but. It's really beautiful. So the question of how do I start, like what do I do? Kelly, you just talked about discipleship journey, the idea of giving incrementally. Yeah, um, that resource would help. Yeah, all, I, that that online. Resource. I had a tw- two 20-year-old college students um, come up after, just just cool Wheaton college students. They came up and they're like, man, this is so good. This is great. But like I'm buried in debt. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I have so much debt, I don't even know where to start. Mm. Um, they actually offered the idea of if I'm wrestling, if I feel guilty about spending, then I don't. Like they're trying to, they're just getting started mm-hmm. in this journey. This yep. journey. And they're like, you know, it's really hard going to a college like Wheaton where it's it's plunked, it, it, it sits right in this, this crazy affluent community and a lot of the students here have a lot of affluence Mm -hmm. and like it's really easy for us to 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 gloss right over giving and being generous Mm -hmm. like we can give excuses that we have debt or we can give excuses that our parents are taking care of it or you know we kind of talk through a lot of those things and and i just kept bringing it back to it the amount is not what you need to be focused on right now. It's your heart. And, you know, the widow's might, the widow who gave mm-hmm. the the two pennies was, 
was looked at as being more generous and more faithful than those who gave huge out amounts of, of money out right. of their abundance yeah. because she gave sacrificially. Yeah. That was generous and sacrificial giving for her. So I said, start with a buck, man. Start I love with, that call. Start with a dollar, and then next year, maybe you can do two. Right. And I said, the, the idea is you need to cultivate the habit of saying, I'm a steward. This doesn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. I want to grow in the grace of giving. I want to be more generous in my life on a day-to-day basis. And the and you just start giving something. Yeah. Start giving something. Don't start with 10 grand as right. your goal. Correct. Start with $100. Yeah. <laughs> and, just, and just... Be less concerned about what you're going to give this Sunday and more concerned about what you're going to give over the next few years. Mm -hmm. In other words, I love the call to growth. Mm -hmm. Give what you can give today, what you can give joyfully and what feels sacrificial, and then follow the lead of God to grow in the grace of giving. Mm -hmm. Give more next year or more next month or more, you know, grow. I should. I also, as a follow up to confession, if we spot an idol in our hearts, in this case, the idol of money, and we 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 end up confessing, the Lord, I am in love with money. I love my salary, or I I love my toys, or I love my clothes, the things that my money buy buys. Once we realize we have an idol and we confess it, in the book of James, chapter five, we're told, confess your sins to one another. And so, it's it's great to confess your sins to God, but The power of confession is experienced when we confess our sins to another believer. Mm -hmm. And then James says, pray for one another. Confess your sins to each other, then pray for one another that you might be healed. Anytime we have an idol, we have absorbed a wound. We have, um, we've uh, brought death into our lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, and so I just... After confession, confessing to a brother or sister in the Lord, here's what I'm struggling with, I've made an idol of this money, then ask them to pray for you that you'd be healed, made whole, that this idol would be destroyed in your life, that your love for God would grow. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, I had a, a young, uh, a younger person, a younger woman came up after the service and said, um, she's like, I've just started out my journey working in the finance industry, which is... I don't know. What Built do you around think? the idol. What do you think, Kelly? Eighty <laughs> percent of our church, yes, is is huge. in the finance industry and in banking, in retirement funding, and wealth management. Mm-hmm. And she said, "You know, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking." She's like, "My whole occupation is is dealing with this." Yeah. And she's like, "For me to do a good job means I make people more money mm-hmm. that they." And that's what that's what I'm paid to do. Right. And she was, I said, you you need to recognize right now, early on, you are in a you are in a, a unique situation where being faithful to what God has called you to do involves something that can quickly become your idol. And I, is in fact the idol it, of many of your customers. Yeah, it, it, it you are in a unique job. So it has unique hazards mm-hmm. for your faith that other occupations don't have. Right. And, and, um, and she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to realize that. And I said, you know, that's, that's, you know, where you need others around you all the time. You need to be thinking through, you know, how, how you manage these things. And I, I was, as I was preaching, I'm looking out and I see like, you know, brothers that I know in Christ that I, I'm close to. And I'm thinking to myself, man, these are some, these, these are some 
challenging situations that these men and women work in on a day-to-day basis. And it kind of just dawned on me while I was sitting there like, or standing there teaching like, this is this is challenging stuff that a lot of our church members need to deal with, and the respect that I suddenly had for for some of that these burden. folks, yeah. yeah, the burden that they carry and how how they manage it well. Right, many do. Many right. manage it very well, and yeah. that, and I know that they get into community and small group and they wrestle with these things and yeah. they want to they want to be generous with what they're doing. They want to figure it out, right? Yeah, and the uh, the person that came up that's in the financial industry. The verse in Psalm one nineteen, I've hidden your word in my in my heart so that I'll not sin against you. If I were in the financial industry, I would commit to memory a bundle of verses on the dangers of money, and the the blessings of generosity, and the call to sacrificial giving. I would I would hide that particular word of God in my heart in order to insulate me against the, mm-hmm. the idol uh, and the sin. I have a. Really, a person close to me in my life that is wealthy, <laughs> significantly. Is it wealthy. me? Yeah, it's you. <laughs> That's actually Matt. Um, uh, yeah. And well, and a from a global star. perspective, we are wealthy. Yeah, yeah. From a DuPage County, it's a I'm talking different. about like I got it in our perspective. Like <laughs> it's crazy, it's, right? I so got it. they, uh, you know, we were talking together, and and he said, I got to a point where I needed somebody that was helping me manage my, my financial advisor that wouldn't let me not give. Mm. He was being talked out of giving. Well, he, no, he wasn't never being talked into it. Oh, he, it was, it wasn't a conversation. He was given a pass. As he's managing as it with his financial advisor, what's going to happen. He needed somebody that said, okay, what are we giving away? Yeah. What are we giving away? That would help him in that discipline. You need to give away. Yeah. For your own soul. It was a, you know, a Christian financial advisor who, he signed up for Love that it. level awesome. of accountability where somebody would would make sure that he was Well, there's a ministry. There oh and there's several. That no, I'm just saying what a powerful word oh, totally. for a wealth manager right. to be able to say. Right. All right, well, let's talk about your giving. Right. And it you know, um so I know that kind of stuff's out there. I know that kind of stuff's happening in our church. I don't yeah. You know, I don't have you know big wig financial advisor helping me. I'll help you after the podcast. <laughs> manage <John>. my. <laughs> but, All right. Well, let's go into the final question, which um, addresses money and in um, in marriage. My wife and I disagree on money issues all the time. It is a major source of tension. Frankly, I want to spend more on our home, cars, and vacations, and she wants to give more away. Every year we have one or two huge blowouts over what to buy and what to give away. Any suggestions? Yeah, do what your wife tells you. I just, I, I, <laughs> that I love that HUGE is in all caps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is... Um, very common, unfortunately. Just, the tension. Give, uh, tensions around giving in marriage is very common. Yeah, you know what? And this, around did, money. Did I say this earlier? Where I, there's, a, there, there's a significant amount of people in our community, I don't know about our church, where the spouse doesn't even know what the other spouse makes. Yeah. That's that's yeah. actually like painfully common. Mm. Especially folks that are, you know, um in the financial industry who are paid in commissions and things, you know, yeah. things like that where it's like, you know, they're not 
drawing the exact same paycheck, you know, week to week and seeing it in the checking account. And they, they that seems like they a have recipe foundations for disaster. And other, it, oh yeah, right, right. I mean, I don't, I don't have a, I don't know anyone. So my first, my first takeaway is accountability is, really is make sure that you're sharing all your details with your with your spouse. Yeah. And and make sure if you are in the place where you need help from the outside, make sure you have a, an advisor that's that you both understand, know, trust, can help you in your in your decisions. But yeah, to, the first I would say is we need to increase communication, not decrease it. We need to talk more about this, and right. we need to be proactive. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, you know, one thing we just did a, I did a wedding not too long ago, did marriage counseling. Of course, finance is a big part of marriage, premarital counseling. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you budget? How do you save? How do you do spend on it? And all this kind of stuff. And, and I said, you know, the, the idea is get a plan and then stick to Work it. Work the plan. To, so that you don't have issues that the, these blowups pop up because my guess is, these blowups are happening because it's outside of what was expected for either. Yeah. It's either, a reactive either, response. Either side. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, the, the idea of serving each other it, to some, to some degree, you know, allow for um, the, the other person's perspective and voice to be heard and, and, you know, be planned for and Sherry and I, and this is going to sound silly, but it's worked well for us. And it's to your proactivity. That's what you're coaching. Uh, Sherry and I were having fights over money when we were very young married. And, uh, so we finally put ourselves on an allowance and I could spend my allowance and I got allowance every two weeks. You're big boy. Yeah. I could spend my allowance on what <laughs> I wanted to. Quarter. <laughs> and she could spend her allowance on what she wanted to. Yeah. And it, it was a way to, to say, all right, let's give each other permission within boundaries, yeah. and let's avoid fighting over these these small issues. It was a part if of our productivity. Pl- if we had done that, Carrie would be a, like a millionaire right now. Because she would have saved it all. She didn't. She wouldn't spend it. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. She's the best. She, she, uh, she, uh, yeah. Well, we did the same thing. To your point, we had a habit uh, of in January sitting down and saying, "What do we want to give away yeah. this year? What do we make?" Yeah. What are we anticipating coming up this year? How do we want to grow and as givers? Right. And there's, I, I would offer resources here that would help people. You know, Crown Financial um, is a resource. There's several in the church that are that are trained yep. in that Crown Financial curriculum. And um, we have done, um, what's the other one? Financial Peace. Yep. Um, and for some, these are really, really helpful tools. For others, it can just perpetuate the idol. Let's be honest. You can get to a means to worshiping money. <laughs> it, it can be right. Yeah, I sure. mean, I've heard lots where it's like we got so obsessed with these the budgets and the envelopes and the money, yeah, and the, yeah. it was like it was consuming all of our conversations yeah. and everything that we were doing, and and it and it it sucked them in, and they yeah. were they're evaluating each other and they're wondering where the envelope with the cash is, and they're it becomes all they talk their about credit cards right. and they're in a block of ice in their freezer and they're just doing all these crazy. <laughs> yeah, again, you may need that. It may be beautiful and helpful for 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 some, and maybe majority, but I do know that we need to be careful too. To not obsess on the yeah. plan <laughs> for right. our money as well, because it can easily yeah. enslave us. You know, my first thought when I read this question was um, was for the person who's saying like, okay, home, cars, and vacation. Just to face value, that sounds super greedy and whatever. But like, what are the details of that? Because 
Are you giving so much that you are neglecting your home? Or are we talking about a build-out here? Right. Are we talking about the man cave you always wanted? And like, the devil is in the details. Man. Right, right. But like, let's focus on the fighting. Let's, what, how right. do they alleviate the fighting? Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And to alleviate fighting, you've got to strengthen communication. Right. Yeah. Strengthen communication. Get outside help yep. if you need it. Um, talk to another couple that you trust to help mentor you. Yeah. Talk, get a financial advisor you both believe in and trust. Follow a curriculum. Yeah. Um, yeah, more communication, follow the expectations, stick with the plan. Those are things I think that would help. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Let me be still in darkness and fear when even the earth gives way. Boom! Prophecy.